Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters. It is my joy, it is my privilege to be here in front of you, share the word of God with you. Allow me to ask you a question. Have you ever wished that you would be in a perfect church? <laughs> I'm sure you have, especially lately. And you know, you, you've heard of this question where, where someone says, well, I'm going to go to a church that is going to be perfect. And the answer is, uh, once you find it, don't go there because you're going to make it not perfect. Because you are not perfect. We're not perfect. Our church is not perfect. In fact, if you didn't know, we have sin in our church. Every single one of us has sin. Yet the Lord is good and gracious to us. And I want to take you today to a church that some would say was perfect, close to perfect. And it was an amazing church, the early church, the apostolic church. It was a very unique church. The Lord began the church with this apostolic church. You can imagine that the apostles were receiving direct revelation from God. They were writing the Bible, the New Testament. They were confirming their words by signs and miracles. There were healings taking place. We're talking about real healings, not what we see on TV. Real healings taking place. We saw people just pouring out their homes and bringing their possessions and sharing. It was an amazing church. Yet even in the midst of this church, there was sin. This is where I want to take you today which is the sin that occurred in chapter 6 of Acts. And the way the Lord decided to solve the sin is by introducing a unique office. It was not called as office of a deacon yet, but there were certain servants there, seven of them. They assumed certain responsibilities and formed, you can say, a seedbed out of which the office of the deacon later formed in the early church. I want to take you to Acts chapter 6. Our passage today will be from verses 1 through 7. I'd like us to read from 542 until 6-7, and we will pray. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. 
And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Please pray with me. Father, Lord, we, being part of your church, are amazed. You originated the church in a very unique way, and primarily because of the Holy Spirit that was resided, permanently resided on your people. And from then on, Lord, you did amazing things through your body. You brought up out of the church many elders and prophets and deacons and pastor teachers. You brought up evangelists and all kinds of servants through generations, Lord. And we now, being in this congregation locally here, we're part of that. We're part of your church that you have designed so wonderfully. And Lord, we come to you and we want to be like the way you designed the church to be. We want to be that biblical church. We want to have those officers that you have designed and you have prepared for the church to function in the way that it should. In order for your gospel to be advanced throughout among the Christians as well as to the outsiders. That the word of God would be spreading and people would be fleeing, fleeting into the churches, Lord. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we look at this passage. We want to thank you for the office of the deacon. We want to thank you for every deacon that serves in our congregation today. We want to thank you for their selfless service, their sacrifice, their desire to do so for your glory, for the progression of the gospel. Out of love for the church, we want to thank you for each and every one of us, Lord. And as we come to this important step where we will be nominating people, as a church, we pray that you would give us wisdom. You would give us understanding of who these people are. Who are these deacons? Who do we look for? Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that we would remain in prayer, and we would act according to your scripture, even in making that call as we nominate. We pray that you would bless us to understand this word more clearly, this office more clearly. Give me grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, isn't that great? Brothers and sisters, aren't you rejoicing to be in the universal church of Christ? You have millions and millions and millions of people throughout the world just worshiping Christ, and they do that according to Scripture, through the gospel that they have received and responded to by faith. And yet they do that in multiple local bodies just like ours. And they do that and they try to do that according to the word of God. So do we. We want to understand these offices that the Lord has prepared for us. And last time, we understand that two weeks ago, that Jan took us to the role of an elder. And we understood that elders have been appointed by God for the purpose to mature believers. And we discussed this, that they do it through many different ways. They teach and they preach the word of God. They protect the flock from false teachers. They keep watch over the souls of the congregation. They pray for the congregation. They oversee the affairs of the congregation. So that is the role of an elder. 
We spoke about that, and we need more elders, by the way. But today we're going to look at the deacon, and we're going to look at several passages, primarily in the Acts chapter 6, and we want to see who is this deacon? What is the role of this deacon? In fact, why do we need these deacons? And let me give you a proposition. I would propose to you that the primary biblical role of a deacon is to assist elders in the advancement of the gospel. I know it's a little general, but the primary role of a deacon is to assist elders in the advancement of the gospel. It is to take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on their primary calling. Again, to take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on the primary calling. Now, we don't say that deacons cannot teach and preach. We don't say that the elders cannot roll up their sleeves and guide in certain ministries because even the apostles done that until this point in chapter 6 of Acts. But in general, there are certain responsibilities and roles that each of these offices hold and this is what we want to have in our church. As we look at a passage, by the way, allow me to just summarize a couple of the differences between the elders and the deacons. One person says this, elders serve by leading, deacons lead by serving. Elders lead by, serve by leading, deacons lead by serving. Or someone else says, elders lead ministries, Deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. As we look at our passage today, you can break it into three major portions. Simple. Problem, resolution to the problem, and result of the resolution. Problem, resolution, result. And we observe, as we observe the, this course of event, this event is taking place, what I would like to do is I'd like to give you four distinct roles slash qualifications of a deacon. By the end of the time when we're done, I think you should have a very good understanding who deacon is and what the role of a deacon is. What should, what should he look like? We want to remind you that no one is producing deacons. We recognize them. We select them. You select them as the church, which we will hear. We, and we affirm them. So the job for you is to say, well, amongst us, who do we see being a deacon? So at first, we're going to take a look at the problem. The problem. And the problem, once we look at it, we're going to see, answer the question, why do we need deacons? Why do we need deacons? What would happen if we wouldn't have deacons? At this point in time, as we look at the problem, I want to remind you that the problem that we oftentimes see within the church doesn't always the problem in and of itself. When there's a complaint, the complaint itself is not a big deal. But it points to a bigger problem within the church. And I want to tell you that here in the church of Jerusalem, this was it. The complaint wasn't just people, you know, complaining about little things. They had a real serious problem there. Now, if I want to Remind you, here we read that the complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now allow me to explain to you what Hellenistic Jews are and what the native Hebrews are. You see, 
There were certain people, certain Jews, that live in the Palestine, and they loved their territory, they loved their language, their borders, they loved everything about Judaism and the Hebrew language and culture. But at the same time, because of diaspora, there were over decades before this, there were many Jews that migrated outside of the Palestine and they have dwelt and lived in the region of Greece and Italy and everywhere. You have to understand that. All of these Jews that moved out of the Palestine, they still remain Jews. However, they picked up on the language. Now they no longer speak Hebrew or Aramaic, now they're speaking Greek. Now they no longer read the Bible in Hebrew or Aramaic, now they're re reading Septuagint in Greek. They're no longer worshiping in Hebrew or Aramaic, now they're worshiping in Greek. But because of the, remember how the church began on the day of Pentecost? Now all these Jews, they come together on the day of Pentecost or for the Passover, they come and many of them get converted. And guess what? People from the native Hebrews get converted and people from the Hellenistic Jews get converted. And there was always that friction within the culture there. Always friction. Always those Hellenistic Jews were looked at the, you know, second-class Jews. But now this problem merged, emerged into the actual church. And now this issue has begun where because they are looked at second-class Christians now, these widows are being overlooked. Everybody's being served. Perhaps there was a one line. You know, first we served the na native Hebrews. So there's one line. Okay, now we're done with the native Hebrews. Now the Hellenistic Hebrews get served. Everybody who has a need, everyone who is a widow, everyone who is, you know, handicapped, everybody's getting served. This is, by the way, normal for the Jews even to practice that hospitality and service to those who are in need, even outside of the Christian church. But now it is within the church. And what happens is that these widows are being hurt. They're offended. The line comes up, sorry, we are out of food. You just happen to be one of the Hellenistic Jews, a widow. Next time. So that was the problem. Now this problem, again, just being offended, just being mistreated, it is common. But here, it has grown. Why? Because now it says that there was a complaint, and you can translate as grumbling. The church began to grumble about it. There were a couple of groups. There were probably a group of Hellenistic Jews. There were probably a group of Hebrew Jews. And now they're grumbling. They're, what's going on? You know, this is such a, such a disrespect to these widows. And the problem not only is in and of itself, but there's now a risk a risk of, you can say, a division within the church. A risk of church split, you can call it. I would say, I would propose how they would be named. If there would be a church split, the first one would be named First Hellenistic Baptist Church in Jerusalem. The second one is the First Native Hebrew Baptist Church in Jerusalem. But the Lord was merciful on this church. He provided help. 
I want to tell you another risk. And I would say it's even a greater risk for the church that was taking place. If you look with me at the entire early church history and what was going on, there are certain phrases that are being kept repeated. Certain activities that were taking place from the chapter 1 of Acts, chapter 2, all the way to chapter 5, and even in chapter 6. Let me list those for you. Number one, the gospel was being preached. Beginning from sermon by Peter, first sermon, second Peter, the gospel was being preached faithfully. And you can see it over and over. I'm not going to take you to those passages, but the word of God was being preached and taught. Second, there was prayer. Third, there was fellowship. Fourth, there was a lot of sharing within the body. There was a lot of giving and receiving. All the needs were met. This was the closeness and beauty of the church. Guess what? On two separate occasions, it said that the church was held in high esteem. The church was held in high esteem in front of the other people surrounding the church. We're talking about people who did not want to become Christians. They avoided being Christians, dealing with Christians. You can see that in chapter 5. But they held Christians in high esteem. Speaking of the church in chapter 1, verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. The Christians were having favor with all the people. Now imagine this. Christians are being served. They show that love for one another. People look up to the church and they say, you know what, those are godly people. I don't agree with the whole Christianity, but they are godly people. And now they hear something otherwise. They hear now that people within, they're being hypocrites. And they're very partial. And they actually mistreat some widows. And they short some people when they're in need. And they say, don't go there. They won't take care of you. They only serve their own, the Hebrews, the national Hebrews. If you look at this, the passage that we have here again, I want you also to see this. Our story is sandwiched between two verses. 542 says, and every day in the temple, they kept on teaching and preaching. And 6-1, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. That's bread number one. If you look at verse 7 now, it says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase. That is the sandwich. This was the whole mission of the church in order to share and spread the gospel and in order to increase the number of disciples. I want to propose to you that not only there was a risk of division within the church, but now there's a risk that the gospel advancement will be hindered. The gospel advancement would be hindered. And to ask us the question, why do we need deacons? Number one is this, the deacons lead, serve, and service with passion for the advancement of the gospel. Deacons lead and service with passion for the advancement of the gospel. Deacons, they don't do it out of their own personal preferences. They don't do it because of desire for power or authority, out of pride. They don't do it because of desire even to serve and be useful. 
They don't do it because they want to please someone or want to serve even someone. They want to do it because they love Christ, they love his gospel, and they want the gospel to be spread and advanced within the body and outside of the body. They want people to hear the gospel and come and join the church and love Christ. That's what they do it. In fact, I want to tell you, every single one of you who serves, that you don't do it because of somebody tells you, because of pressure. Someone keeps telling you, would you do this, brother? Would you do this, sister? You do this, and you want to do this because you want to advance the gospel. There are people watching us, and they want to see how united you are in this task, in this mission. That was the problem. Let's go on to the resolution. The grumbling reached the apostles' ears and they summoned the congregation and they proposed to them this resolution. Now, from what their answer, I would want to say, I would summarize in this. Apostles are saying, we heard your complaint we believe that the problem is big. It needs to be addressed. We could and we would be in charge of serving the tables, but we are committed to the primary task that we're called to. We're called to minister the word and prayer, and if we take that responsibility of serving the tables, we're going to neglect the main calling and primary responsibility. We want this problem to be resolved, but we want to offer you the way to resolve it. It leads us to the second role of a deacon, and deacon leads in service through support of his elders. Deacon leads in service through support of his elders. How does he support his elders? Well, one of the ways is just being one mind with one direction, sharing that direction of the church, strategy and application of the scripture within the ministry. Imagine if the apostles say, well, brother, Philip, Stephen, we have this direction. We're going to be spending this time in the Word of God, studying it, preaching it, writing it. But you're going to be serving. And he's going to say, well, listen, I have a different agenda. I have a different philosophy of ministry. Imagine that. No, that what we see here is a unity, and the deacons join in, and they serve alongside of the apostles in this case. He supports his elders, deacon supports his elders by joyfully assuming certain responsibilities in order to allow the elders to minister the word and remain in prayer. Joyfully. These are the best deacons when someone comes up and says, brother, how can I help you? You got to preach. You got to teach on Friday. You got three counselees, you got, you're meeting one-on-one, -on -one, you're discipling people, how can I serve? Can I set something up for you? Can I send out an email? Can I do something? Those are the best deacons because they have the same goal and the same view and direction of ministry. Brother, sister, if you, I just want to encourage you. If you love this church, if you want to serve if you have desire to support the advancement of the gospel, you want to su support the elders of this church, you may have a heart of a deacon. I want to encourage you, keep serving. And the church and the elders, they'll select you. They'll identify you. They, you will be seen. 
Let me give you a couple of examples to explain this relationship between elder and a deacon. One of them is a common one, is a husband and wife. Husband and wife, both are equal in their value. Both are equal. Both are united in their goals, values, direction. Yet each of them holds specific, different responsibility. They may share certain abilities. They may share certain responsibilities. Husbands, right? You can, you can change a diaper. You can sweep the floor. You can clean, wash the dishes. You can do anything. You can do most of the things that your wife can do. Yet you choose and you put your responsibilities to lead, to shepherd, to provide spiritually, to provide materially as a first responsibility. At the same time, wife is in full support. In fact, the wife enables you to do all those things, right? That's the type of relationship that we have between the elder and the deacon. You know, in the medical field, I'm from a medical field, we have similar thing where you have a physician and a physician assistant. Both knowledgeable, maybe even the same area. Both may have similar abilities to do certain things. But once you're in the operating room, that's a surgeon, and you're a PA. The surgeon leads and directs the whole operation, and you're first assist. You're enabling him to achieve with the same goal of certain serving this patient. In the legal world, you have a, an attorney and you have a paralegal. Both could be very knowledgeable. Both could help you. You can call them a question. Paralegal can answer many of your questions. They have one purpose, one goal in order to serve the client and help the client. At the same time, who's going to represent you in the court of law? It's the lawyer. It's the attorney who's going to protect you and represent you there. So in the same way with the elders and deacons, both valuable, both extremely important. One has a calling to minister the word of God, and the other one has a calling to support and enable him having the same goal to advance the gospel. So, so far we've covered deacon leads in service with passion for advancement of the gospel. Number two, he leads in service through support of his elders. And now we come to the instruction. The elders are giving instructions, and instructions would tell us this. Who are these deacons? Who are these deacons? What is their role? What is their qualification? We understand their purpose, but now we're going to see who they are. Let me go back and explain to you about the term deacon. Now, deacon, you understand, just means simply servant. And the word servant is used multiple times, over 30 times in the New Testament. It speaks of different servants. It speaks of different acts of service. Yet at the same time, if you have a question, well, I'm serving. I sweep the floor. I set up chairs. I greet people. Does that mean that I'm a deacon? And the answer is not necessarily. Not necessarily. First of all, that means you're a Christian because you're called to serve, right? Jesus said, the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. Luke 22, 26, Jesus was the greatest servant. Paul himself 
calls himself as a servant. He's an apostle, but he calls himself as a ser- servant. He says, what then is Paulus? And what is Paul? Servants or diaconus, right? Deacon, through whom you believed. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. If you look at our passage, if you look carefully, the word service or servant is mentioned three times. Take a look at verse 1. It says, widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Serving of food, that's service. That's the same word. Now, it wasn't the apostles who were serving. It wasn't the seven men who were serving. There were people like you and I, Christians, simple Christians that were serving, and the problem was taking place, right? Take a look at verse 2. It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Well, that's the same ministry that was carried out by someone else. Now the seven men would be taking over, and they would be taking the role of a servant, right? But take a look at verse 3 now. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Well, this whole word ministry, that's also service. And these apostles are also serving in their capacity. They're serving with the word. So everyone you look at, everyone is a servant. That doesn't mean you're a deacon or everyone is a deacon. When we talk about deacon, we speak about specifically of the office. It's an official designation for someone who says he is qualified and he has a specific role within the body to serve as a deacon. By the way, if you think deacon as an office is mentioned much, it is not. I want you to open to Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. That's the first time the deacon is mentioned as an office. If you're not there, that's okay. You'll catch up. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, overseers and servants, literally, and servants. But he wouldn't mention that because overseers are also servants. It tells you that it's an office, overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first time the office is mentioned. The second time, it was in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Please open there with me. Where Paul gives the qualifications of a deacon. First Timothy 3.8. Deacons, not just servants. These are officers within the church. Likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, these, mess, these men must also be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Everybody needs to serve, but these men will be served as deacons. Women must likewise be dignified. Deaconesses, we believe, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That is very clear, right? It's not talking about just servants. It's talking about specific office that is held in high standing and great confidence in the faith. So two passages, the only one that you may want to look at on your own time, it's speaking about in Romans chapter 16, verses 1, it's speaking about Phoebe 
a servant in the church of Saint Saint Crea? You can translate it as a servant, or you can tra translate it as a deaconess or deacon in the church of Saint Crea, depending on how you believe. Passage in First Timothy applies. So. This is the office. It is unique. It is special. Interestingly, that in our passage in Acts chapter 6, we don't even see it being mentioned as an office. But as I mentioned before, that it likely, and what I believe is, these men and selection of these men has served as a bedseat out of which the whole office grew out of later in the early church. And this is where the deacon has become an official office. So, let's go back to our passage in chapter 6 of Acts. The apostles instruct the church to select seven men from among themselves. Notice that seven men were to be selected from among the congregation. You don't hire a person from an outside to be a deacon in your church because he has certain abilities. That's one. Here we see the congregation nominates. It selects. They choose, right? The final appointment being made by those already in the position as teachers and spiritual leaders. You can see that. Whom we, verse 3, may, may put in charge of this task. The last blessing and last, so to speak, affirmation takes place by the elders. We do have another step just to make sure the elders are not <laughs> going somewhere. But, but you can see this is, this is biblical. Um, notice the order. The apostles didn't say, hey, let's choose some men. We're going to create this pool of men, of deacons. And whenever we have a task... We're going to take them and grab them out of this pool in, in order for them to serve different areas. That wasn't the case either. They had a task first. They had a need. They had a problem that had to be met. And out of that need, the problem had to be filled with a deacon. Notice that order also, very interestingly. And you know, in our congregation, brothers and sisters, we have many needs. <laughs> we need more elders and we need more deacons. We need people to serve in ushering ministry, music ministry, media ministry, benevolence ministry, children's ministry. Those are people, those are real needs. Some of those needs may not be well identified yet, but they're there and they need a deacon. So please pray, pray about this. This leads us to number three. Deacon leads in service as he meets specific needs in church. He leads in service as he meets specific need in church. There are some churches, like I said, they create a pool of deacons. Oh, brother, you have been a church member for a while. You're like a senior now here. I think we should need make you a deacon where he's not even serving anywhere. Or someone who had served as a deacon within specific ministry, and that ministry disappeared. Something happened. Certain change. But that deacon is still a deacon for years and years. His job needs to be 
skewed to a specific problem, has to be attached to a specific ministry, a specific need. That would be biblical. Now, it leads us to the requirements. Let's take a look at the requirements that the apostles gave for the choosing of the men. Therefore, brethren, select, verse 3, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Good reputation, full of wisdom, spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Leads us to number four. Deacon leads in service by godly character. By godly character. Number one, of good reputation. Speaking of men or women of dignity, they're worthy of respect. They're above reproach. What does that mean, above reproach? When the list comes up and you have three weeks, people are not like, how did he get over here? On the other hand, it's people say, it should be like, oh yeah, I see this man serve all the time. He has a heart of a deacon. He loves the church. He's sacrificial. He's always supportive. He's always brings, unites people. That's a deacon. I totally see him being a deacon. That's beyond reproach. That is a man of dignity, worthy of respect, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, fully yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. If you want to say, well, is he being fully yielding? Is he yielding to the control of the Spirit? Well, check his fruit. Check his fruit. Does he have the fruit of the Spirit when he talks to people? Does he do so in love? Does he do so in peace and patience? Or it's very easy to push on his buttons and get him to react? Does he lead and serve people in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That is the man or woman who is being led and under the control of the Spirit. These people are to be full of wisdom. He must have biblical and theological knowledge. He or she must have practical wisdom to apply biblical truths to the situations of everyday life. He has to be sober in the judgments. I mean, you imagine, you come up to the table, there are two women just screaming at each other. Or maybe there are two women who are not even talking to each other. This man has to be a man of wisdom, a peacemaker, who can come and can help and can help him reconcile. That's the deacon, full of wisdom, must be able to put out some fires, who leads into unity of the body, doesn't cause trouble on the other hand. We're not talking about here perfection or sinlessness. Right? We're talking about practical holiness, humility. When you come to someone and say, brother, you served them, that was a little rough. Says, what do you mean? No, it's someone who has humility and say, thank you, brother. I'll, I'll look into it. I'll look into my heart. I want to make sure you know, that I serve people with love and care. I want the gospel to be advancing, advancing within the church and outside. 
As I said earlier, you know, elders don't produce deacons. Other deacons don't produce deacons. The church doesn't produce deacons. The congregation, we identify. It is the work of God. Now, the body can be used as instruments to raise someone, to mature someone. Elders can be used to train and to help and to let someone grow, to, to be used in that. But it is Christ who is the one who produces deacons. And the job of the church is to be able to identify them, spot them, choose them, propose them, nominate them. Same thing for the elders. They are to affirm them, not make them. And here we have the roster. By the way, those of you who are sitting here and thinking, that's quite a bit of qualification. Whew, I don't think I need to, I'm glad I don't need to go up there and try to match up to that. Let me take you to a passage. Open with me to Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, this is to the congregation, this is to the church. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. Oh, you think elders should be above reproach? You think deacons should be above reproach? Well, here it says you should be above reproach. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So, brother and sister, if you just say, I'm so glad I don't need to aim for that mark, you're wrong. Same qualifications that are for the deacon, same qualifications for the elder, they apply to you. You are to reach, you are to aim at that level. Verse 5, if you go back with me to Acts chapter 6, we have a roster. They chose Stephen... A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit specifically identifies him because the narrative continues and Stephen is going to be talked to later on. And Philip, Procris, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles and after praying they laid their hands on them as a sign of official affirmation before the congregation, assigning them to a specific task. They say, we officially appoint you to take care of this need. You are now going to be these specific officers within the body. It answered who these people are. Notice that all the names here are Greek names. Have you noticed that? There's no Matthew. There's no Joseph here. All Greek names. And perhaps this was to, for the church to express the love and care for the Hellenistic Jews. They say, you know, we love you. We want to take care of you. And we chose these men and we trust you, men, that you will take, do a good job. You're men filled with the Spirit of God. You're men of dignity. Will, you will take care of it honestly and fairly. And we just want you to take care of it. This leads us to the question. So, so far we've covered 
Deacon leads in service with passion for the advancement of the gospel. He does so through support of his elders. He leads in service by godly character, and he meets specific needs of the church. We understand who these people are. We understand what the qualifications are, what these people look like. Now the question is, well, what would the church look like if you would have the godly, godly, how should I say, authority and godly government within the church? What it would look like when you have biblical deacons within the church? Number one, I want to propose to you that you have unity within the body. The church is united. Take a look at Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose. It leads to a certain unity. It leads to, again, agreement, cooperation. Number two, it leads to order. It makes the government complete. The church was more complete and orderly with the affirmed servants. The task was met. The problem was resolved. There were no more widows getting hurt. There's order and peace. Number three, evangelism and discipleship. Verse seven, the word of God kept on spreading. Now we're back to the same routine. Apostles or elders continued on with their primary task to preach and serve the Word of God. Number four, numerical, numerical growth. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The whole mission carried on. The main task was moving forward. People continued to be added on to the church in fact, out of the actual, by the way, several thousands of priests, many of them would come to faith because of the order within the body. Numerical growth and now growth of individuals, of servants. Some deacons went on to become pastors and evangelists. We know that Prochorus, according to tradition, he became one of the pastors and pastored the church. We read about Stephen right after this story. Stephen, we don't know how long it passed, but Stephen became one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest evangelists, and the first martyr in the church. We read about Philip. Philip was one of the evangelists. He brought to conversion people. At the end of the book, when Paul comes back to Jerusalem, he says, and we stayed with Philip, the evangelist. Imagine this, when you have a biblical order of elders, deacons, according to the scripture, there is this unity, there's this agreement, there's this order, completeness. Evangelism and discipleship are just taking off. There's this growth of the body itself, and there's growth within the body. Some of the deacons will become elders. Some of the deacons will become evangelists, missionaries. That is beautiful. 
That is how God designed the church to function. And I pray that our body would function in this way. So I want to encourage you. If you have a heart for a deacon, ask, where can I help? And if you're not serving, ask, where can I help? If you love this church. At the same time, pray, brothers and sisters. Next Sunday, we're going to, our nomination process begins. Pray, think, who are these people that the Lord has assigned to be servants in the church? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again and again for your goodness and your faithfulness to the church, to the universal church that you guard so well, and you allow it to persevere in the midst of troubles from outside and from within, and you do the same for our congregation. Lord, we're here because of your mercy. We have a long history together, and you continue to bless us beyond our expectations. We see your hand within our body, and we want to thank you for that. We pray, Lord, as we move forward, even through this nomination process, Lord, we pray that your hand would be a blessing, that we would have, Lord, God-glorifying and church-serving servants within the body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.